At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, we are back. I am back from Montana. Danny is back from not going anywhere over All-Star break. The cat is purring on my lap. And we got big news to tell you before we get started here. Tomorrow night, probably tonight as you listen to this, 7.30 Pacific, we are actually going to be on NBA.com doing a real live broadcast with the game in the feed as well. We've been tweeting it out all day. We're going to tweet it out all day. Tomorrow, joining Roe Parrish, Danny and I, for Grizz Clippers. See some John Morant, some Kawhi Leonard. Hear us call the game with Roe Parrish. So we really, this is our first chance to really do something official, really fully broadcast the game. And uh, I can't wait to do that, Danny. It's going to be awesome. I, I'm really glad that they reached out to us and asked us to do that. Yeah, it, it's incredibly exciting. Another another step that we weren't even sure was going to be in this process. But I mean, you and I went on this endeavor with the idea that we could potentially call a live game, and it'll be it'll be really fun. And we're going to have an advanced stats bent to it, which should be appropriate considering our listenership and what we focus on in this show. And we'll be using some of the similar advanced stats on this broadcast when we're doing the 15 and 60, but obviously that will be separate prep and all that. Yeah. And it should be a fun game too. I mean, getting to go in depth on Memphis, a team that you and I have been really interested in the last couple weeks and the Clippers are consistently relevant. Let's put it that way. So for today's show, we are going to talk about the teams in the East that actually were active at the trade deadline. West will be coming tomorrow night. And that means that we shall begin with the Atlanta Hawks, Danny. The Hawks are 17 and 41, 9 and 13 since last time we hit them in a 15 and 60, 28th in net rating, 26th in offense, 28th in defense, and 538's model projects them to win 29 games, which incredibly is a tie for ninth place in the East. And that's why their 538's Raptor model gives them a 2% chance of making the playoffs, and ELO gives them, or sorry, ELO, not, not, it's ELO gives them a 1% chance. And I, It is kind of amazing that the team that is currently 26th in net rating about 60 games into the season still has a chance of making the playoffs, but that's the way the East is. And I mean, especially given that shorthanded Mavs win, but still an encouraging, encouraging game for the Hawks all the same. Yeah, now they will be doing it without Clint Capella, who is going to be reevaluated two weeks from now with that plantar fasciitis. You recall when he was in Houston, it was deemed a heel issue. But the plantar fasciitis, we know the chronic nature of it. Sometimes it's bad enough in season that it's almost better to tear it so it actually heals. This sort of thing, it takes a lot of rest. And I think that sheds more light, the fact that he's going to be out this long. Now, clearly Atlanta doesn't have the urgency to bring him back to Houston did, but it gives you some indication, even more so, of why that move was made from Houston's perspective. That Capella wasn't necessarily a great bet to be healthy throughout this season, and 
we'll get a look at, at Capella and John Collins. I think uh, one of the things that has been pointed out about this trade for Capella is that it's really taking a bet on Capella being at center that John Collins could not be their center of the future. He's going to have to find his way as a power forward. And he did have a monster game against the Mavs. They were trapping Trey Young like crazy. Collins killed it on the short roll. He had 37 points and you know, that to me is an, an indication of why Trey Young is so valuable. He completely changes the defensive coverage in a way that maybe some of these other guys don't, even with uh, his defensive foibles. But uh, ultimately, the reason why it wouldn't work playing Collins big minutes at, at center was defensively where the numbers just were not particularly encouraging. Right. And center is, while it can be, you can succeed in a lot of different ways at the position, it is still a linchpin defensively. And Atlanta hasn't been able to stop opponents at, at when he's at that position they're giving up and this is not all Collins's fault but they're the Hawks are giving up 43 percent of opponent shots at the rim when he plays in center and they're making two-thirds of those and both of those are too high and again there are, there are multiple points of failure in this Hawks defense a lot but if if your center can't clean up points of failure then that is a big problem even as you improve and I mean there are various different examples we've seen of centers there and for me of the point I want to emphasize not only with the with the Capella part which yeah I mean Capella is a more significant long-term investment but remember they also traded for Dwayne Dedman who has multi-year obligations who fits in well with his team so far though noting Capella hasn't played Dedman started three times he's playing 26 minutes a game as a Hawk so that's another indicator that Travis Schlank and presumably Lloyd Pierce as well do not see John Collins as a center of the present or of the future yeah and Dedman they've been awesome with him uh, on the floor I mean only 123 minutes so far but 14 points six net rating with him on the floor now am i going to give him that much credit for their 124 offensive rating when he's out there maybe not uh but they are uh 109 defense rating again this is 123 minutes so not a huge sample so far but i did think that perhaps rumors of his demise in sacramento uh, were a bit overstated the idea that he was just going to lose any ability to be effective uh, seemed a little weird to me and yeah you know he had a tough start to the season shooting the ball Rashawn Holmes is really good he lost his spot in the rotation they were playing better with Holmes I understand all of why that happened but and then he wanted out of there and he got his wish and, and he was looking like a bad contract but I still think he's quite capable of playing pretty effectively here um what are the numbers with uh jeff teague uh, who you know was acquired a, a bit earlier than the trade deadline but it's worth checking in on him as well teague is now played in 16 games three of those starts in, in games I, I believe all the starts came in the games that trey young missed um he's playing 22 minutes a game 7.2 points 4.4 assists and these will sound grizzly they'll sound bad but the the hawks have a negative 12 net rating and a 107 offensive rating when jeff teague is on the floor and yeah some of those minutes are shared with with trey they're playing them together a little bit and playing using teague as the primary backup but remember how abysmal those non-trey minutes were pre Jeff Teague and so it's not exactly it's not exactly apples to apples for a couple reasons I didn't get into the Teague minus Trey minutes but just having one when I the eye test when I've been watching the Hawks the last few weeks just having a competent steward 
running the offense 48 minutes a game just makes a world of difference yeah their overall net rating with trey young or i'm sorry their overall offense rating with trey young off the floor is up to up to danny a 93.3 it was like 90 before so teague actually is having a a positive effect to just give them something at that position and the on-court offensive rating is is almost a 111 now trey dropped 50 against miami in the first game after the break uh, we mentioned how Dallas completely changed a shorthanded Dallas team, but still, uh, you know, a smart team completely changed up their defensive scheme to try to deal with him and let John Collins go off. Um, before we go here, what one question are you focused on the most here for the rest of this Hawks season? Even with their still developing personnel on the perimeter, can they defend with John Collins at the four and one of their centers, Deadman or Capel at the five? If they can defend competently, you know, and, and we'll see with noise on shooting and all that, but if they can, you know, have some good games, that is a huge step towards their viability in the East next year. I will be tracking the development of DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Those two guys, again, and, and it ties in with your discussion as well of whether they're going to be able to defend with Collins at the four or not you're probably not gonna be playing those two guys together because that much because you've got herder but reddish has looked better after that atrocious first two three months of the season Uh, he had a big game against dallas as well uh, which hunter missed uh, for personal reason that's part of why he played so much but i want to see whether those guys look like they can even you know you can squint and see those guys as being quality starters on the wing and then you know they'll probably have a decent draft pick coming here as well and so identifying what the need is going to be will also be quite interesting for them okay quick break and we will come back and talk about oh danny this is uh this can be fascinating here cleveland cavaliers Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know 
know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout Please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us well is this now the cleveland cavaliers i guess i'll give their fundamentals first before i pose this question 15 and 41 actually 5 and 15 since the last 15 and 60 they're 2 and 2 since acquiring andre drummond their negative 8.8 net rating is 29th in the nba 25th on offense 29th on defense thank you to the washington wizards for having the Cavs not be dead last in defense again though they've been better this year and the Cavs actually have improved since last year i think they're like 1.400 better i believe uh, so than last year they project for 21 wins which actually seems a little (laughs) a little optimistic uh, at this point that would be last in the eastern conference they will not be making the playoffs so my question to you is with the departure of john beeline which we'll discuss here is this the most dysfunctional franchise in the nba at this point uh my instinct i i'm not thinking of a good counter but my instinct is no because their front office and all that seems surprisingly stable you know like yeah. the, the, tr- the truly dysfunctional organizations what if we limit it to organizations uh west of the hudson river okay then then we're start now we're cooking with gas um yeah i'd say there if we're saying west of the hudson then i think we're cleveland probably has it i mean the perennial perennial understudy replacement jb bickerstaff is going to take over and it from what it, i haven't heard it definitively but it sounds like it's not in an interim basis which is something that yeah I'm it, always... it, well it, it seems pretty clear because the reporting which you know seems like some good spin but they're paying him 1.6 million as an assistant and it seemed like this was never publicized of course until they moved on from beeline or beeline moved on from them mutually uh but that there is some sort of a succession plan in place and you know it's happening earlier than they thought it might but those questions came up obviously with the hiring of the 60 the then 66 year old beeline i should so, say so so bigger staff's not going to be the voice for like two weeks or something like that yeah no it's a, and you know presumably he will end up getting a, a bump up as well i mean the amazing thing about beeline and, and Hondra and i talked about this today is that he actually just was so miserable that he gave up guaranteed money when's the last time a coach 
did that. He had three more years guaranteed on his contract at $4 million a year. Now, he can expect to make that back in college, and he's made a bunch of money in his career, and he's older. and uh, But clearly, w- was very upset. I mean, if you want to say, I mean, I would have to say that just the locker room on-court headlines are the worst this year in terms of dysfunction with oh the slugs but also remember the stuff that came out of andre drummond where he basically said like it's worse here than it was in detroit and he'd only been there for like a week Well, uh, the other thing that was amazing was the indications that Drummond, if Beeline stuck around, he was like, it would have affected his free agency decision. Nah, nah, pretty sure he's going to opt in regardless. I I think we're we're about to, uh, we'll discuss his performance in a Cleveland uniform in a second here. A couple other little news items here. Tristan Thompson, as of now, he still has until March 1st for this, but he is not going to agree to a buyout. Clutch sports clients generally do not do that. Uh, The thought being that he wants his birth rights for a sign and trade but is that really that valuable no yeah i mean you would think that the full mid-level exception is uh about the best that, that he's going to do and I, that, I would be would very think. surprised if he got that yeah um they also re-signed alfonso mckinney to a hinky special yeah especially for a guy who's this much of a veteran it, it's a little bit of a surprise i, I, a couple, I will clarify yeah. as the creator of the term that a hinky special is uh the only guaranteed money is in the first year and then there are three non-guaranteed team option years after that that is what a true hinky special is and in many cases including some of the og ones for the philadelphia 76ers there is more than the minimum guaranteed in the first year sometimes that is done as an inducement and one of the players who did that was jeremy grant back in the day yeah covington was another one of those guys tj mcconnell um also a note hollinger i talked about this a little bit but uh jason lloyd of the athletic said in a chat that the blazers actually offered just expiring contracts for kevin love and the Cavs said no i think taken that especially given the fact that love really desperately wants out of there he actually sat on saturday with achilles soreness he's uh, been seen with a wrap on that so i want to talk about andre drummond and i think it's really interesting when guys who have been in one situation their whole careers especially guys who've kind of been propped up as the star player change situations and leave where things are kind of built around them where they're enabled and sometimes things can really collapse like a, a very good example of that was Carmelo Anthony going from New York to OKC where you finally realize like oh man this guy has really fallen off when you're not running every play for him and you felt like oh well he could be more efficient in OKC and as it turned out that just wasn't the case same thing in Houston and I think you know his performance in Portland this year has been nice but also you know not revelatory compared to where he was the last couple years I think he's in a little better shape this year and I think that this you know other times a change of situation really helps we'll see if that's the case with uh, Andrew Wiggins for example this time to have better players around him but to me, I think this could be one of those situations where things like totally collapse for him. You and I, over the course of Dunked On, have spent a fair amount of time wondering whether Andre Drummond actually helped the team's defense. And the Cavs will be this crazy test case because of how abysmal their defense has been so far. And they, you know, it is challenging you know you're cleaning up a different kind of mess when the other team when your team has so many flawed perimeter defenders and often Kevin Love playing the four who doesn't help clean up very much himself and I've been skeptical of that with Drummond I know that some of the metrics have really liked him and some of that is because I have posited before that I think some of the, especially the all-in-ones overvalue def- who grabs the defensive rebound and nobody benefits more from that than Andre Drummond because he is an amazing rebounder so whether he works as a deterrent shot blocking recovery all of those elements that are important we're 
I'm not saying we're going to get definitive information relative to Detroit. I think it's in many ways a less representative sample. But when you get a different set of context, then that changes the way you evaluate. Yeah, I mean, you really would struggle to find evidence that, especially in the last couple of years, that he really helps a team's defense. And so far for the Cavs, the results have been extremely ugly. 127.9 defensive rating with him on the court. He has a negative 25 net rating in a mere 98 minutes, admittedly. But in watching some of the film uh, that he's put together here with the Cavs, and we saw this in Detroit as well, he might be up there. I mean, this is a, a, maybe a whole separate podcast, but as one of the players in the NBA who has one of the more outsized opinions of his own abilities, and the evidence for that has mostly shown up in the turnovers. He's oh, turning God. it over on 30% of the possessions that he uses, and that's with 29% usage. I mean, that is just a crazy high usage. 7.3 turnovers per 36 minutes. He's got 20 turnovers in 98 minutes. And it really is just a cornucopia of ways to turn the ball over. The most unforgivable to me is the number of times he just tries to face up from the top of the key and just attack off the dribble. And he tried that three times on Bam Adebayo against Miami in a game that they were down 30 at halftime. And just, for, first of all, Bam Adebayo is one of the best individual defenders in the NBA. And secondly, he's driving right into a guy who's already just standing there at the elbow and just getting stripped as, as he tries to drive on another great individual defender. So well, and and there, it also harkens back to, for those who longtime followers of the draft, remember that Drummond had this workout right before the draft and actually it seemed like it weakened his stock and you know there, there isn't a ton that's out from that but I remember hearing there was something it was probably Chad Ford at the time talking about how he did a lot on the perimeter and like you do see that from Drummond when he gets more latitude he thinks he can do more with the ball in his hands and the answer is that he can't no it's true I mean it, these turnovers uh just every possible way you can turn the ball over attempts to throw long outlet passes that are intercepted i think he's got like three or four turnovers on those plays where he throws it over half court and just gets it picked off travels in the post he had a three second violation uh a number of high low post entries to kevin love where he just threw it over his head guess what kevin love can't jump uh backdoor passes that had no chance uh, of being completed the help is just right there you know and you're throwing it to Darius Garland, who's not even open, who like, can't finish the play. And, you know, some of these are going to get cleaned up. No player has 30% turnovers with that kind of usage. Um, but overall, because of the turnovers, it's been extremely inefficient. 51 points on 65 possessions per synergy as a center. Again, I mean, and I think for him to really be valuable, you know, I don't know if he can be good defensively, but if he could just focus on rolling to the rim and defending the basket and offensive rebounding, you know, that's his way to actually be a valuable winning player as opposed to putting up stats he has gotten a few nice deep post-ups he's actually got 16 points on 12 post-up possessions and you know he's been getting some deep seals uh, and scoring uh, maybe a little more focused on putting guys in the goal and those short flip hook shots uh, that have never been particularly accurate for him um and uh, another thing to watch here too is they're two and two with him, but no thanks to him. They actually have a plus 7.8 net rating with him off the court. Well, and a big part uh, of that was that win they had over the Washington Wizards where he he, yeah. play, he started the second half and then didn't come back in. Yeah, he didn't play the last 16 minutes uh, of that. He didn't close in their game versus Atlanta. That was Tristan Thompson. Those are the two games that they won. And, the, and then the, the other two were just 
complete destructions by the Clippers and Miami where you know it wasn't close enough at the end so he hasn't closed a single game for them yet and you know it could well be that Tristan Thompson is just a, a better player than him and both those guys uh, could potentially be free agents it does seem like with some of the turnovers that Drummond has had he's been very focused on trying to build his free agent value but this is not the way to do that uh shall we turn to Andre Drummond's former team yeah, a, a, a so much rosier of a, of a place, Detroit. Nineteen and forty, six and sixteen yeah. since the well, last. Drummond fi- thought so. Yeah, he <laughs> did. Uh, six and sixteen since the last fifteen and sixty, and that includes their narrow loss at the hands of the Portland Trailblazers on Sunday night. The Pistons are twenty-first in net rating, negative three point two, nineteenth in offense, twenty-third in defense. Five thirty-eight model projects that they will win twenty-four games, which is a tie for thirteenth. They will not make the playoffs. And the most important news is that the Exodus has continued there. Markeith Morris got waived and uh, gave up all of his remaining money, including his 3.4 million player option for next season. I expected he was going to decline that anyway, but he gave all that up. And then he cleared waivers, which surprised me because I thought there were, especially Houston, they not only had a sufficiently large trade exception to claim him, but also had enough wiggle room under the tax. The Clippers also had an exception, but didn't have the wiggle room under the tax. So, but you could talk about roster spots and other things. So instead, he is going to sign with the Lakers, who are going to waive demarcus cousins in order to clear the room yeah and cousins uh, will remain around the team to rehab league rules do allow that there to talk that cousins could actually come back this year that was uh would have been ill-advised considering uh, their center situation and for morris he's gonna sign into the demarcus cousins disabled player exception uh so he's gonna get 1.75 million this year so he'll actually make a little bit more this year than he would have which would be about 4 million as opposed to 3.3 and then if you assume he signs to the minimum next year which would be about 2.5 million he'd pretty much be made whole for that player option or and he'll get to pick his location and maybe even makes more than the 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 minimum next year so it works out for him financially it's very rare that you'll see a player just totally give up on a player option that's worth that much but because the lakers could offer so much more than the minimum with that disabled player exception that's how he ends up getting made whole i know there's the piston sections but we're not gonna have a chance to talk about this for a little bit how do you see marquis fitting in on the lakers i do like adding a body a more forward-sized body for their team but i don't think that marquis cures what ails the lakers i've still i still think they need another ball handler we have seen caruso have some moments but i and i'm not going to trust rondo on a game in game out basis i have too much too much baggage for me as an analyst on him at this point and to for for high leverage minutes and all that type of stuff and i don't think queen cook is the answer or anything like that so i think he'll help i think he adds a little bit of depth and my instinct is that he probably probably won't close games other than in very special circumstances but having another person who can you know defend some some bigger forwards is good to have i mean he's going to be competing with kyle kuzma for minutes yep and he's also going to be competing with javel mcgee and dwight howard for minutes i think the four and the five they've really already have five or four viable players there and then you throw in lebron who's capable of playing that position as well and you've got five that's where they are the most stacked so i mean maybe he takes some of kuzma's minutes maybe they feel like he can be a little bit better defensively than kuzma he is shooting it extremely well from three this year but aside from that there there's been little about his performance that indicates he's uh, much above replacement level so i i think it's a little concerning in the sense that he might get played and not deserve it in theory you know he provides a little bit more switchability with ad and lebron but you know i don't think he has that level of athleticism that he had a couple of years ago 
ago. So I don't expect this. I, I think it's more likely than not that this actually negative affects things for the Lakers um, than that it's positive. But uh, it's, I mean, it's another body to get in there. He can play. DeMarcus Cousins can't. So I don't think it's the end of the world to sign him, but unless he ends up playing more than he should. A couple other pieces of business for the Pistons. They also waived Reggie Jackson, who signed with the Clippers, playing with buddy Paul George. And one strange thing, kind of combination thing with this is that you could make an argument that absent the personal elements Reggie Jackson would make more sense on the Lakers and Markeith Morris would make more sense on the Clippers but that's not the way things worked out and then also Dwayne Casey uh, said that Luke Kennard who's dealing with a knee issue is still a ways away from getting out back on the court that is certainly concerning both for his for long-term things because it's a knee issue but also because I wanted to see how Luke Kennard fits in with this team yeah, there are some indications he's ramping up his activity to some degree, but with now Markeith Morris no longer on the team, it is the Christian Wood show in Detroit. What's it look like? It's been positive for me. I mean, I, I've liked Christian Wood for a while, and he, you know, there are reasons why he bounced around the league. I mean, you hear about some of the off-court stuff, but he has now started five games for the Pistons this year. 18 points, nine rebounds in those five games, and remarkably, 64% true shooting on 22% usage. Those are both very, I mean, 22 usage is fine. It's not amazing, but 60, 64% shooting those are both actually lower than what he's done as a reserve but not by much I think that's more just sample issues and everything like that and so offensively I think Wood fits in really well with where the NBA is going I there are lots of teams that I would be very fascinated with his fit and then I guess let's do defense before we do the contract because both those things are both important to talk about with him yeah and he allows 57% shooting at the rim uh, when he is in the area. That's about average for a center. He's never been particularly lauded for his recognition. He will block shots. You don't see as many of the verticality plays from him. He is no longer painfully thin, but he definitely is not, you know, some great post defender. He's not a, a big bruiser. Uh, when he plays center, which has been 47% of the time, and he's played a lot of his minutes with Thon Maker, for example. He played some four, and maybe even played a little with Blake Griffin earlier early on in the year uh but when he plays center 118.5 offensive rating he is a very good offensive center uh, guys and, and who remember have, these yeah. haven't been in the pistons best offensive units yeah uh, and so w- with his ability to stretch the floor finish around the rim offensive rebound gravity getting up for dunks you know he's not a post-up threat but he can do pretty much everything else uh, as far as being a play finisher uh, and uh, you really like what he does offensively if he is an excellent pick and roll pick and pop nba center you love that about him the question just becomes is he good enough defensively to be a starter and he might be to be a starter but maybe not you know a big premium type of starter who you're going to pay big money to would getting into the market this year is going to be a challenge just because there aren't that many teams with a ton of space so he his biggest decision might be more in terms of role and opportunity rather than money but there could be huge variance in his offers that wouldn't surprise me at all and wood is in an unusual circumstance because he is an unrestricted free agent at age 24 who is now going to have some starting experience and that allows him to do a lot of things the pistons will have early bird rights on him we'll see if that is sufficient we'll see if he wants to go back i mean there will it looks like there will be playing time to offer he could also just see how the draft shakes out and and other things and remember that's the big difference most 24 year olds who have played in the nba are restricted free agents when they hit as opposed to being unrestricted so that's going to be an advantage for him though we'll have to see if it actually materializes into something real 
Yeah, and a couple of interesting cap minutia aspects of this. Number one, he probably, especially now uh, with the end of the season, not having much competition at center, is going to hit the starter criteria, which will mean that his qualifying offer will be a larger number. I haven't looked up exactly what that is, but it'll probably be a, around in the three million range. That's about where it was last year. And that helps uh, in uh, oh yeah uh, never mind there's no qualifying offer he's an unrestricted, unrestricted. yeah why didn't you cut me off and tell me what a moron i was i didn't feel like it <laughs> but this thing i, I know is a, a cap minutia thing that is interesting uh he got waived and claimed off of waivers twice uh once by from the bucks to the pals and then once from the pals to the pistons in preseason and however he will still have early bird rights this goes back to a grievance that was filed by jeremy lynn and steve novak in the previous cba when they were both on the knicks i believe yeah and they got waived claimed by the knicks and they were able to maintain their early bird rights so that then became the precedent for maintaining your bird rights when you get waived and so uh, that's going to be very useful because his cap bold is going to be small it'll be basically at the minimum and detroit in theory wants to do something with this 33 million or so in space that they're going to have um what do you see as his market being i mean you would imagine detroit is very interested in re-signing him because they didn't trade him uh, going into being a free agent i'm sure there was some interest in wood with his ability to block shots shoot threes and finish around the rim and i, I think they're they want to re-sign him and maybe they even bring him back a, as a star i think you know probably the analog for a contract there uh would be something along the lines of what thomas bryant got i was gonna say know, the same Avi- guy yeah avicha zubach is another guy now both those guys were restricted uh uh, but there was also a, a larger market, more teams with cap space. It wouldn't shock me if he gets maybe a little bit less. You know, I th- I'm thinking, you know, something along the lines of like 15 to 20 million guaranteed. You know, that seems like kind of where it'll end up for him. But I don't know if he's going to be able to develop a market outside of Detroit either. So, but I mean, considering all the places he's been in his career, life changing money for him uh, would be a very nice story. I w- I'm pretty confident that he will get less than I think he should. And there are numerous teams. I mean, Charlotte to me would be an obvious one of just needing that potential, that that potent, you know, just somebody who could really move the needle for them. And maybe it doesn't work out. And also, especially because they're not exactly a free agent destination. Those types of teams, I think, could could really do something. So we'll we'll have to see. Um, but we we'll keep that. A couple other pieces, a couple little notes for the Pistons. John Henson and Brandon Knight were their additions in that cap clearing trade. Both those guys are actually playing a little bit for the Pistons before tonight's loss to the or to the Blazers. Henson's played in four games, about 14 minutes a game. Knight, two games, about 13 minutes a game. And then um, after a, a more rollicking start, Seku Dumbuya's stats are toning down a little bit. Yeah, he overall for the season, 39% from the field, 31% from three. I'm sure we'll catch up on him yes. again before the, the end of the season. But, you know, I mean, he's, he's a 19-year-old. It's It, was, it wasn't going to be amazing. He's had some flashes, uh, but, you know, it's he's not the next superstar quite yet. All right, quick break here, and we'll get to the Miami Heat. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us at amica insurance we know it's more than just a car it's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive the hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. So Miami just uh, had a three-day Jersey retirement extravaganza for Dwayne Wade. They sit at 36 and 20, but a mere 10 and 10 in their last 20. They've had some injury absences, obviously, uh, but only a plus 3.7 net rating. That's ninth in the NBA, sixth on offense. I mean, that's something that you just did not see coming with these guys at all. But defense actually has been poor, 13th. I think that's a lot lower than some of us might have thought. But, you know, some of the guys that they've been playing, it's been a little bit different i think their defense is going to get better and their offense is going to get worse with the additions of iguodala and crowder they will be making the playoffs uh they project for 51 wins which would be the fifth seed news wise tyler hero with right foot soreness did not play against the Cavs. uh on thursday the first practice back from the break eric spolstra said that hero did not practice then he doesn't have a timetable the heat are not really known for giving timetables but uh this right foot soreness unclear whether that's a foot or an ankle issue Uh, he's now missed seven straight games Myers Leonard uh, suffered an ugly ankle sprain a few games before the break he didn't play against the Cavs Uh, it was actually February 3rd that he injured it initially and he's been sidelined since then he also does not have a a timetable but it seems like something that might be another couple of weeks and uh, unclear exactly how he's going to fit in with Kelly Olenek and uh, now again with Igor Iguodala Crowder and Solomon Hill having joined we saw Andre Iguodala fortuitously signed with Miami just before coming to Oakland he was honored in a nice ceremony with uh Clay Thompson saying uh, some really great stuff about him he's uh his number will surely be retired in Golden State uh, got a chance to talk to him after the game and congratulated him on, on his business acumen and uh told him the the locker room was a lot less interesting without him because uh they're, they're just having having those old vets who really know the league and have conversations with uh, it was uh somebody who I started taking for granted with the Warriors and we kind of missed that this year and and um, 
what do the numbers look like for Iguodala, Crowder, and Hill in their first few games here for Miami? Iguodala and Crowder have both, not surprisingly, stepped right into the Miami rotation, though there are more minutes opened up with Hero and Leonard being out. Crowder, so far through five games, playing 28 minutes a game, actually averaging 16 points per game early on. I think that will tone down in time. He's not going to be hitting 55% of his threes for forever. Uh, Iguodala, more more modest offensively, five points a game, five rebounds in 21 minutes. And then Solomon Hill's only played twice, but he's played 22 total minutes for them. I would say uh, the, one of the most interesting things with Iguodala was in that first game, actually the one before they played the Warriors in San Francisco, was he played 16 straight minutes. I think he came off the bench and then Spo just didn't take him out. And Well, well and then he, the Warriors actually uh, had him do a presser before the game and he uh, slyly dropped that reference <laughs> that he uh, had played 16 straight minutes, which was uh, cla- classic Andre. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm not really used to doing that until the playoffs he's i'm not sure that he's like the most amazing fit for the super buttoned up heat culture uh but he's also getting paid 50 million dollars next year so i i think he'll he'll well and and he's also just such a smart defender and i mean we could you saw it in in that when he was playing against the warriors even though most of the players who were on the floor weren't his former teammates they that he was doing some pre-switching was calling was kind of calling out what was going on and I think that just having him in the mix there is going to be positive. Same thing with Jay Crowder, who's been so much better offensively in the early going, but having just having more options, I think is is really important. And Spo is a fantastic coach. So I think he can make a lot of that work. Yeah. And offensively, he can function in their offense with a lot of which runs through the elbows with handouts really as more of a four, perhaps making smart cuts to the rim. He hasn't really been asked to, to take a lot of three pointers yet to just spot up and spread pick and roll. That's not really, though, what Miami does. Um, Kendrick Nunn in that game back, the revenge game against Golden State, did not materialize. He really struggled. Obviously, Miami ultimately took care of business in that one, but he was shooting early and often and missing uh, quite a few mid-rangers. Another thing uh, that really has been the case in some of these Miami games recently, we talked about this on the pod ranking the shooting guards, is that Duncan Robinson is really starting to get attacked defensively, and he's really struggling. He does have some height, but other than that, not very strong, not a ton of lateral quickness um last question i wanted to ask you here about miami is what do you see as their biggest weakness being in the playoffs what concerns you the most about them as they get into being a playoff team here they have a lot of one-way guys and they're gonna suppose gonna have to make choices i think that you know duncan robinson will get attacked more defensively and then iguodala he can be be a smart offensive player but he can be a reluctant shooter and teams can help off of him all those all those sorts of elements and i think we could see some of kendrick nunn's warts and a few other guys i mean jimmy and bam i think will do very well but figuring out who is good enough to log you know 15 20 minutes and i mean i talked about this a little bit in my pod with matt moore uh, which we recorded on friday about i've become sort of fixated on the idea that the heat and we'll see maybe the injuries to the sixers which we'll talk about later end up affecting their seed but if if it's a heat sixer series i think there are a lot of players that will just be bigger problem areas on one end of the floor for them and the best of the best are going to expose that. So depending on what Miami is defining as success, they're going to have to face some really strong competition. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I'm very interested to see how Iguodala looks. You know, we've seen Draymond Green with no Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant really, I think, hurt his team's offense in most games. And you know, is Iguodala's just you know the fact that he's kind of a screener an opportunistic cutter is that just not going to be enough for them offensively but i think even the bigger concern to me is 
I'm not sure that they really have somewhere to go offensively at yeah. the end of games. I mean, I, I'm not try sure. Jimmy, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if you have a team that can switch with multiple long defenders, is he really going to be able to beat guys one on one? Yeah. If it's a pick and roll, you know, he doesn't really want to finish at the rim that much anymore. He is very dependent on drawing fouls at this point. He's uh, really into drawing the BS fouls on the way to the basket. If he's contested at the rim, he is not shooting he's kicking the ball back out that's part of why he's edging so many assists now but i'm just not sure you know duncan robinson if you really lock in on him uh if you're not playing a conventional pick and roll defense against jimmy butler if you can switch i don't not sure that he can beat these guys one on one he did have a really nice game against the sixers in uh, their win over them he, he was able to score pretty well despite being guarded by ben simmons in a previous game ben simmons really locked him up so yeah i have more concerns i actually think their playoff defense is going to be a lot better and i think their playoff offense isn't going to look nearly as good um we don't have, right. we don't have to worry yeah. about playoff offense or defense with our next team the new york knickerbockers they are 17 and 39 though a respectable 7 and 12 since the last 15 and 60 negative 6.7 net rating is 26 in the league 29th in offense 20th in defense which is better than i expected and 538 projects them to win 24 games which would be in that tie for 13 in the in the east they are not going to make the playoffs uh frank nilkina is questionable for their game on monday against the rockets with a sore groin alfred Payton. yeah that's what that's always concerning because remember it was the groin that caused him to miss so much time last year he's even been in and out of the lineup so always something to monitor with him when you hear uh the groin mentioned with frank nilkina and alfred Payton is also questionable for that same game against the rockets he's dealing with a sore right ankle and we're also getting a little bit more clarity on the structure of the front office now that now that leon rose is taking over yeah uh worldwide west is apparently not going to be joining uh rose is still wrapping things up at caa there has been an official announcement yet on him uh they also hired this guy steve stout who goes on first take basically talks about how they really have to get a new coach in and that's really going to help with their branding and you know not to not mentioning that hey you know they actually have coach mike miller who's doing a decent enough job uh and so the team then of, of course is forced to issue a statement saying that no actually steve stout does not speak for basketball operations uh, at all um but I'm sure he's had discussions with people who indicate that Mike Miller is not going to be retained. Maybe he'll have some unbelievable end of the season and that'll change. Um, the newcomers, Mo Harkless, he had some discussions with the media that he might get bought out but uh you know he said basically he doesn't want to do that uh i'm interested to see how the knicks are going to use him he's yet another guy who can't shoot on this team which is a little bit of a problem um he's played 21 minutes a game he's averaging 3.5 points and four rebounds uh, in two games uh, as of this podcast so these guys did make a trade they didn't get anyone who we think is necessarily part of their future so maybe we could talk about mitchell robinson a little bit this year this is not meant to be a full scout but i I wanted to do a little bit of digging on robinson i've i've for those who remember i actually watched one of his high school games in the great state of louisiana for the 20 for our 2018 draft prep and so i've always had a little bit more investment in, in robinson because of that and so he had that you know was coming off the bench but had that impressive year statistically last year for the knicks and really hasn't changed too much about his role this year some of that is the talent that they brought in around him you know bringing in a bunch of bigs that can't shoot but so Robinson last year 
21 minutes a game as a 20-year-old rookie, and now he's playing a whopping 22.5 minutes per game, still coming off the bench. He's actually going to start fewer games this year than last year, which is pretty notable. And then offensively, I mean, he was ridiculously efficient last year. 69% true shooting last year, and that is actually up to 72%, which as of when I checked it was leading the league per basketball reference. And his PER is the same because he balanced that rise in true shooting with drops in rebounding and block rate. So that that pretty much offsets. So he's about the same. And part of why Robinson is so efficient, a significant part of it is that he takes 91% of his shots in restricted area and makes 77% of them. That 77 is up from 73 last year. Um, And he's making more dunks than last year, which is a positive. You you generally like to see that. And it would help if he could be better at free throws, but he's at 60%. I think that's probably enough, though I'd love to see that tick up to like 65. Yeah, and he basically gets his points through three possible methods 35 percent of the time off of attempted putbacks uh, on the offensive glass 27 percent as pick and roll roll man he is 98th percentile 1.66 points per possession there but only 98 times in you know so we're talking about basically one and a half times a game is he actually finishing a pick and roll play and there's this thing called the spread pick and roll you know you have like a pretty good point guard the center sets a screen for and then he heads towards the direction of the basket and then you have guys who can stand behind that little arc that's uh 23 feet nine inches from the basket 22 feet in the corners and that's where the whole spread part comes from and then that big center he he goes towards the basket and then you throw it up in the air and he tries to dunk it uh the knicks haven't really quite figured that out with the whole point guard thing and the shooting thing and that's why robinson despite arguably being a bigger part of the knicks future than julius randall hasn't been starting because he just isn't a fit with those guys and so you mentioned how he's not considered uh, an offensive plus by some of these rating systems well that's because he just isn't being put in the position to succeed uh, and you know he could be every bit r- the offensive force that say a Rudy Gobert is he probably has to get better at screening but he's a great offensive rebounder he can get up even higher I mean he he might be if you're just gonna say hey who in the NBA could touch the highest point off the ground he probably would be my pick and he gets up for just some crazy alley-oops but just he's not being used right in this Knicks offense and you know they don't have anyone who's a, a great pick and roll player they don't have anyone that you can't go under a screen on and so he just hasn't had the opportunities and much like many of these players RJ Barrett this it's just so hard to evaluate what this guy can be and you know can he really help your defense if you don't have a traditional big next to him you know they don't really know the answer to that uh, so there's a really to me it's kind of an incomplete uh, for Robinson right now and you still think he can be the next center of the future but they made such a detour last offseason that we don't know that yet and uh, from the eye test I've seen Robinson it does seem like he's biting a little bit less on pump fakes but his foul rate has basically not changed it was 5.7 per 36 minutes last year it's down to 5.3 this year so that is a little better but not not too much and I, I mean if you're starting the guy if he's closing games he's playing big minutes maybe you'd learn if he, he yeah i agree can avoid falling or not like he doesn't have that incentive right now he doesn't and i mean there was i remember i was watching a uh, knicks broadcast and they were talking about how he plays so high energy that there there was the theory that maybe he can't play that many more minutes i think he can i think that's just something the players need to get comfortable with and it is remember that he was coming off basically an off season when he when he joined them because he didn't really play for western kentucky 
hockey. So maybe some of that was getting stamina back and everything else. But I think the Knicks need to know a lot more about Mitchell Robinson. It is such a shame. I mean, beyond all the other flaws of the season that they've had such a poor lens to evaluate their young players. And it's going to be hard for that to get a lot better too, because of who's available and who's not and what's on their books. But we'll leave that for another time. I'll also mention that the all-in-one metrics still are generally positive on Robinson. He is... For PIPM, he is 65th in the league with a uh, overall and has a plus 1.6 defensive PIPM. So when I counted out the positions, he, I said he was 65th overall. He's about 21st among centers. Reminder that PIPM, like a lot of these, really like centers. And RPM has Robinson as, you know, more like a slight positive, not not quite there. He's, 30, he's 32nd among centers as ESPN splits the players up by position. So I, I would love to get more information on him on both ends of the floor, but they'll have to come at a different time. Yeah, the Knicks are uh, 2.3 points per 100 possessions better. Uh, with Robinson on the court defensively the Orlando Magic 17 and 20 no that, that can't be right 24 and 32 and they are 18th in net rating negative 1.6 uh 106.9 offense if rating gives the, is 24th in the league and they are eighth in defense 108.5 points per 100 possessions even though they're projected to win 37 games they're still almost a lock to make the playoffs 97 percent per raptor and 92 percent using elo so congratulations you're gonna make it and be either i mean they might be cannon fodder for the two seed because of what's happening in brooklyn we'll have to see yeah news coming down in the last couple of weeks uh jeff welton confirmed uh on a podcast that Jonathan Isaac will not play again this season, despite the fact that they're denied the disabled player exception that they applied for with Isaac. And usually they're pretty lenient on those. The standard is he has to be out at least until the following June 15th, in the opinion of the doctors. But uh, apparently the Magic are going to rule him out despite the fact that they were not able to convince the league that that was the case. How do their new, I should say, or how does their newcomer look so far? Ennis is not right. He's playing about 17 minutes a game, actually started their most recent one that lost to Dallas and played 21 minutes there. He's averaging five points, three rebounds. And Ennis, remember, had it because of the structure of his contract, he actually had a implicit no trade clause with the Sixers he re-signed with them would have had bird rights at the end of it and because they traded him if he opts out they lose that now he's making the minimum so it's not probably that huge huge deal for Orlando but I think he made the right decision especially with Isaac now being out for the year Orlando needs guys they need bodies and they're trying to compete they're going to make the playoffs so I think it was it was the right decision for playing time purposes my instinct is that what Ennis is going to do is probably pretty similar in kind to what he did last year which is you have an option at the minimum decline it with the expectation that you're going to get a fully guaranteed minimum contract somewhere and you get to choose where that somewhere is it might be Orlando I think it'll be somewhere else and I would rather have that unless and this is why your agent has to do hard work is make sure that that kind of offers on the table but I think Ennis can know that before he makes his his player option decision yeah another guy I think we should talk about here is Evan Fournier he was not traded he's got that player option for 17 million next season the type of veteran where maybe you could get a deal on him if you wanted to lock him in for something around that number he certainly has been worth that this season with his excellent shooting ability but the question becomes as we look at where the magic are I mean they're going to make the playoffs this year they're going to get completely housed in the first round almost certainly and and you wonder like he is definitely I mean much like Vucevic and Ross were last year he is essential to what this team is right now but do you want to get even further committed 
to this you know seventh seed in a bad conference type of team uh, by bringing him back and you also wonder a little bit uh, because uh, the shooting has been so good whether this uh, can sustain going forward here Fournier 27 right now and you know probably going to look for a long-term contract because he he'll have the opportunity and another challenge for Fournier is just that some of the teams that have money aren't necessarily looking for a two assuming they see him that way Atlanta for example like I I don't think that Atlanta is going to be heavy in the Evan Fournier market Charlotte I think would actually be an interesting one depending on how they see Rozier and and Devontae Graham working out I could see Fournier getting into the mix there and really making them a better team if that's what they're looking for in the immediate wouldn't surprise me if they were but you brought up the shooting I think that's an important thing to talk about here Fournier making 41% of his threes taking 7.5 per 36 minutes that is the highest success rate and attempt rate of his career and the other reason is this is a ridiculous shooting season he's making 49% of his long twos as well that's leading Fournier to have the highest PER of his career, 16.4, highest usage, 24.4, and he's just below in true shooting at 60%. It was, you know, it's percent, it's like a tenth of a percent or something like that. And I hadn't noticed this until I was looking at looking at his kind of career arc that you we used to discuss how DJ Augustine was had good year and bad year alternating and Fournier is getting into that now he's had rises and drops in both PER and true shooting each of the last five seasons and this is a a, a cresting for him I talked about how those are the best stats for him so that's a good time to opt out and be a free agent assuming there's some sort of market for him which I think there would be and for my question with him and with them is is there a team that that will put the pressure on Orlando to match. We already saw that happen with Vooch and, I mean, presumably with Terrence Ross. I don't know exactly who was interested then. And as you kind of got into, Orlando, it's not so much that their immediate have cap issues because they have some wiggle room. It's 2021-22 because that is when Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz will be restricted for agents they're going to, or, or they'll be on new deals via extension. And presumably at least Isaac, but maybe both, will get raised and their other players aren't going to be off the books other than Augustine yeah and maybe the end game here is we're going to try and sign you to a contract that we think is movable maybe it's uh, following a similar structure to Gordon where it has declines perhaps moving Aaron Gordon would be something they could look at I actually thought of Aaron Gordon for that Warriors trade exception but he makes a little bit too much uh, to fit into that um but you know maybe that would be something where they could get another player for that into that trade exception and then move him at the deadline for Gordon um back to Fournier though the big improvement in his game has been off the pick and roll I mean he's shooting it well from all over the place but in particular you never really thought of him as a guy who could shoot jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll and he's been excellent there he's over a point per possession when you consider that's all in the half court uh, jump shots off the dribble that is really really impressive uh, that he's been able to shoot it as well as he has uh, his floater game has been excellent as well uh, basically a point per possession on floaters his finishing around the rim is at a, a career best rate as well and yeah you know what he is not gonna be a primary option for you you probably don't even want him necessarily uh, as a secondary option but and he's not just unbelievable defensively either you know, i think he can be reasonably effective but he's not gonna guard the other team's best player either so 
the question that I have is really, you know, is he kind of a late in the playoffs type of player? Can he hold up well enough there? You know, it doesn't, I'm not sure how resilient his game is on either end if you really get into the crucible, but certainly a very valuable player. And I mean, he's the number one reason why the Magic offense has even the modicum of respectability that it does right now. Right. And not every team is evaluating players on how they'll do in April, May, and June. Some teams are trying to get to April, May, and June and, and can work with that. And, and Fournier might be, that's part of the reason why I think Charlotte is a, is a notable fit is because I think he can do, he can make them better in the first 82. And then after that, if they get there, they're going to be pretty damn happy. And I, I wonder if teams are going to, if he, if this agent's going to try to sell him as more than a two, because there are a bunch of teams like the Pistons and the Hawks who don't need a two. They have Kennard and Herter respectively and yeah the Hawks have other options so I I wonder how they're going to cultivate a market for him and also whether Fournier can try to do something through sign and trade and the challenge there is it's hard to sign and trade a player that the their current team might want to retain and that they wouldn't really have the capacity to replace him so the Magic do wield some leverage in those circumstances a lot of times you end up seeing it work out but whether a team loves Fournier enough to make the the leverage plays that would be necessary to kind of make all that work. I'm going to be interested. I think he's one of the more compelling free agents just because of the, the moving pieces in play. One of the more compelling teams overall is the Philadelphia 76ers, 35-22, and 11-8 since we last checked in on them, plus 2.7 net rating, is 12th in the NBA, 20th on offense, Oof. that is a big problem, 4th on defense, but 106.5, that really puts them a lot closer, I mean the Bucks are what, like 101, 102 right now, so they're, that puts the Sixers closer to average than it does to the Bucks, and we were hoping that they would be right up there with the Bucks, and now the Bucks have certainly exceeded expectations to be sure uh they project for 53 wins so that would be the fourth seed that's very interesting obviously that battle for seeding that would put them on the same side of the bracket as Milwaukee it would also however give them home court advantage where they have killed it I think a little bit too much is being made of their road struggles, at least as far as, you know, it certainly has been an issue, but at least as far as predicting what's going to happen going forward, there's little indication that home road splits uh, persist for a team. Uh, They will, of course, be making the playoffs. We've yet to hear precisely the issue with Ben Simmons. He underwent an MRI as we record this on Sunday. We haven't heard the results of that yet. He missed Thursday's game with lower back soreness. Then he left the Bucks game after five minutes. Probably should not have been playing in that game. It was an ABC game at Milwaukee. Well, there's the weird Bucks thing that he, they reported during the game that he was going to go to the locker room whenever he wasn't in the game, which is very weird. Um, and then he went to the locker room and then he didn't come back in the game. So Simmons is, you know, he, he really blossomed, especially especially in those non-Embiid games earlier in the year. And the way that Elton Brand constructed this team, it is a lot harder to make a lot of, to make this work without Ben Simmons. And there, you know, there are ways yeah. with Joel Embiid and everything else, but he's, he's not, I mean, he might be the hardest guy to replace with how this team is structured. Well, the other thing I'll say too, I mean, uh, the, the big news out of Philly is Al Horford going to the bench. We'll talk about that, but whether that was, it was because they had a little more space with Horford on the bench, but I really had liked what Simmons was doing as a ball handler and scorer before the break those snug pick and rolls with Embiid he had a lot more space they were just saying hey you know what we're gonna have this guy run some pick and roll now we're gonna have him attack more and even if he can't make a jump shot we're just gonna do it and I thought it actually was looking pretty good in a lot of those games and maybe that was just due to having more space uh 
but Simmons was aggressive. He was getting to the rim. Embiid has a, a fair amount of gravity. If they switched it, Embiid was able to get deep post position. And of course, when Embiid is really motivated and in shape, he can get that deep post position. That was not the case against Milwaukee, as after declaring himself the best player in the world after uh, a home overtime win over the Nets, hey now, uh, who who have always massively struggled to deal with Embiid, uh, he was completely outplayed by Giannis. Basically, turned the t- Giannis turned the tables on him going back to Christmas when Giannis had that 8 out of 27 game and Bede was awful. I think it was 5 out of 18 on Saturday night. And also worth noting, um, that's the first Buck Sixers game that we haven't done for the live show. Yeah. Um, and, and they'll still have uh, one more matchup, obviously. What's the latest on the newcomers, Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third? Robinson the third has played in four games and has started two of them. He is one of the people that has been used as a Horford replacement, and I, I believe one of in Thursday's game it might have been as a Simmons replacement, depending on how you see things. Uh, and he's playing 15 minutes a game, so it is more in the Keith Bogans style. 6.5 points, 1.5 rebounds, and to me, GR3 makes more sense than Alec Burks in those starting lineups because he provides more value without the ball in his hands. Robinson is shooting 39% from three this year. It is only four three-pointers per 36 minutes, but he's 37% for the career for his career. You know, I'm not as big a fan of the high, relatively high success, low volume type of guys, but that's he can do more without the ball than than Alec Burks. And that's been the other surprise is Burks playing 22 minutes a game in the three games he's played. Points and rebounds are all fine, but 21 usage and 9% assists are just lower than I thought. I think that's a sample size issue. I just, you know, when you've only played 60 minutes for a team, you're not getting a whole lot of information, but I thought he would get a little bit more of a role with that second unit because they were looking for it, especially after uh, Elton Brand cut Trey Burke as part of opening up the roster slot to get Alec Burks. Yeah, and uh, those guys were both shooting better from three with the Warriors than their career norms would indicate. A lot of players seem to come to Philly and all of a sudden not be able to shoot threes. And one of those is Al Horford. Bodner had this stat. Al Horford has made 10 threes with Embiid on the floor. It's incredible. All season. And that, and he's just shot it way better when he's playing at center. And this is a a case for Al Horford of, you know, some of this is shooting luck. It still wouldn't shock me if we see Al Horford closing games at minimum in the playoffs, maybe even starting them at some point. You know, there's no reason why he's going to be missing open threes with Embiid on the floor and making them when he's off the floor. You would think he he would have more spot up opportunities with him beat on the floor, frankly. But this is the kind of a be careful what you wish for, right? Al Horford is like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't want to play center. Like it, it just, I get beat up too much. Like I, I've, I'm a four. I've always wanted to play the four. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not a four. You're a five. You, you. That's what made you special is your ability to move your feet, guard the, be the guy who's the fulcrum at the elbows as a center. And so he really wanted to come to Philly so that he could be that player and. He's just not, especially, I mean, the slower you get, you, you're going to move up the positional spectrum as you get older, generally. And it, now, again, I think that there's a little bit too much sky is falling right now. He's been battling some Achilles soreness. I think that's a big part of this, too. I still think he can contribute for these guys. But, I mean, it's not, he's not on the right path right now. I mean, in that Brooklyn game, I think he played 19 minutes and that was in a game that Ben Simmons didn't play. He still only played 19 minutes, and he was like negative 26 in 19 minutes. Like the Embiid off the floor minutes uh, were what killed them that even got it into overtime. Um, 
And so one thing that we talked about in the summer was, okay, would you rather have Al Horford and Josh Richardson or Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick, who they could have just simply retained? And I think at least for this year, it is very clear that it is a downgrade to go from Butler and Redick to Horford and Richardson. We'll see how it how it goes in the playoffs, but I mean, in the regular season, at least that's pretty pretty confident. And I, I still like Josh Richardson a lot, but yeah, I think that that's a fair a fair distinction to make. Well, and then you throw into that potentially it could be the luxury tax, which prevents them from retaining Richardson. Could be next year, uh, after next year, I should say, when when he can opt out of eleven million, which he certainly uh, will be worth more than that, assuming he continues on his current trajectory. All right, let's uh, wrap things up here. We get, still got a little more news to get to, but let's talk Washington Wizards. The- 20 and 35. You, you did all the work on this one, so I'll, I'll read the stats because I have to have something to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 20 and 35. 8 and 11. 8 and 11, Danny. Although two dispiriting losses uh, over the weekend blew a big lead to the Cavs at home and then lost despite Bradley Beal's 53 points on the road to the Bulls, who have been struggling, but still 8 and 11 since the last 15 and 60. There's maybe some thought that they could get back into the playoff picture in the East. Hasn't been the case, though. I mean, those are two games that they really needed to win if that were going to happen. Negative 5.0 net rating is 25th in the NBA, 15th on offense. That has really declined quite a bit. You'll recall that they were in the top 10 at one point earlier this year, but some of the injuries that they've had has really dug into that. On defense, they are 30th. Oh, yeah, they are. 0.8 points per 100 worse than the Cavs. They project still tied for ninth. 29 wins, uh, 6% chance of the playoffs per 538 Raptor, 3% per ELO. And Tommy Shepard did confirm that John Wall is expected to miss the rest of the regular season. Uh, but Rui Hachimura has been back. He played a few games before the All-Star break had uh, that groin issue. Um, so uh, their defense, do, do we want to talk about that? or At least briefly. It's not just that the Wizards are bad defensively, it's how remarkably bad they are at different parts. So, Dean Oliver, four factors of, of defense. The Wizards are in the bottom three and you know, of three of the four factors and dead last in two of the four factors. They're after their loss to the Bulls on Sunday, they are now all the way down to 30th in opponent effective field goal percentage. They're also dead last in defensive rebounding, which should not be a surprise when you think about their personnel. And then they're 28th in foul rate opponent free throw attempt rate. The only thing they're okay in is forcing turnovers. And what I got to thinking about it, so... Uh, oh, can, can we talk about the foul rate for a little bit? Sure. Scott Brooks had uh, quite the epic rant after the Bulls game, noting that in the previous two games against the Cavs and the Bulls, not exactly teams that finish a ton around the rim, the Wizards gave up 16 and ones in two games. And so Brooks went on and on about how incredibly soft they were uh, for that, that they're just like not fouling hard enough. Uh, but yeah, that's that's not amazing. Uh, it's to, it's not. And but what I got to thinking, you know, yeah, the Wizards have a bad defense, and that's that we expected that. You know, there was that thing about who is their second best defender because Jan Mahimi is their best defender. And what when I started really thinking about it, what really concerned me was how is that going to get better and 
having Isaiah Thomas out of the rotation presumably helps. I mean, he was he was a sieve, and they'll they'll do better. And John Wall, when when healthy, has been a, a positive defensively. But Mahimi has been their best defensive player, and he he's probably going to be gone. I mean, maybe they bring him back for marginal rate. Thomas Bryant isn't the answer there. Hachimura not a defensive positive, and and so like basically that's what I started getting into is just the offense has been encouraging. And then remember that if they end up using it and they kept Davis Bertans, they distinctly did not trade him. That that's probably going to be their major their major retention slash addition this sum the summer is going to be if they retain Davis Bertans if he chooses to come back he's unrestricted. So I don't really see yeah they could get better shooting luck yeah they can be a little bit better you know going to John Wall instead of instead of Ish and Isaiah and some of the other stuff. But even getting to like twentieth in defense feels like it's a big road from where they are right now. Yeah, and maybe a coaching upgrade could assist with that. It's funny that you bring this up because Hollinger and I talked about that today too. It hasn't been out yet, but I'm going to release it obviously right after we're done recording. And we talked about the same thing of just what is the path forward for this group? Yeah, having John Wall is going to help you defensively compared to Ish Smith or Isaiah Thomas. But, you know, I think the greatest shot blocking point guard of all time days are probably dead for him. He was a, not a good defensive player before he got injured. You know, maybe he helps some in transition, but he also is ball dominant. And, you know, is he going to be the same player offensively since uh, compared to when he got uh compared to before he got all those entries probably not so and he's making 41 million dollars for the next three years after this one and it's just when you say hey oh well they could just you know get a, a much better defensive center that's how they take the step forward uh well the, where's the flexibility to do that if you're going to use up your room under the tax to bring back bertans hard to say and you also wonder just about ted leonsis he's very big on making the playoffs and it still does feel like there has to be a tear down here at some point most likely I mean, they could be back in the playoffs next year for sure but you know they're when maybe they get to 45 wins if they get a little lucky but i i feel you i mean i just i think their defense is destined to be so bad maybe hachimura just gets to be really good he translates his physical tools but that's you know we've seen guys like him who don't get a lot of blocks and steals not really be able to turn it defensively so i I share your concern one thing they could do is just get a few more active defenders you know gary payton actually could end up if they were into pretending him be somebody in the second unit and just get more stingy there and that could that could help out just but they need a theory of the lineup there too and and we'll have to see a couple other things before we before we finish with the wizards their uh, their additions jerome robinson who they brought in from the Clippers. He's played 17 minutes a game in four games, playing about, about getting about five, uh, six points a game, four rebounds. He is shooting, he's four of 10 from three, so that means 40%. But for the full season, Robinson, 4.8 PER, 42% true shooting. And while those are bad, they're not that much worse than last year. 7.2% PER, 49% true shooting, horrible in PIPM. And I've never been a believer in Jerome Robinson. There is, you know, that every once in a while he shows a little bit of a flash with the ball in his hands. And what concerns me, remember the Clippers picked up his option for the 20-21 season, is that Washington acquired him deliberately. They did not need to insinuate themselves in that trade, but they did, is that they're going to pencil Robinson in for that backup shooting guard spot. And that if he's not an NBA player, one of the biggest ways that a team, and Phoenix is a, is a great example of this last year, that a team can get themselves in trouble is by having non-NBA players in the rotation. And so if Robinson ends up not meeting that threshold, that could be a big problem for them. Well, I'll let you talk about that before we talk about Shabazz Napier. 
I mean, I think people know where I stand at Jerome Robinson. And uh, I mean, just uh, probably the most interesting thing about him at this point is what if the Clippers had just taken Michael Porter instead of him? Yeah, that's true. Shabazz Napier, 20 minutes a game, about five games, 10 assists, sorry, 10 points, four assists. Probably not going to shoot nine nine to twenty two for forty one percent from three in his you know next five games or keep that average up. And I still think Napier is a you know a functional backup point guard. My instinct is that that will be somewhere else, considering John Wall and Ish Smith are both under contract for next year. And Washington depend if they're bringing back Bertans, I think they're just not going to have much wiggle room. They will have early bird rights on Napier, so if they want to bring him back and he wants to come back, unrestricted guys, that's always important. He'll do that. I expect that this is a one off, but I'm happy that he's getting the chance to play. All right, let's uh, talk about a little more news around the Eastern Conference here. In Boston, Kemba Walker did not play in their tough loss to the Lakers, though Jason Tatum has had two monster games in a row. He was great on Sunday. Uh, Sore left knee for Walker. He had it drained. Uh, It's not too straight that he's missed, so something to monitor there. Walker, you recall, has had some knee surgeries in the past. Robert Williams, who's been out uh, for quite a time here with a left hip bone edema, isn't going to play on this upcoming four-game road trip, but he did play in their first practice after the break, and he's expected to ramp things up. Uh, So maybe he could come back when they return from the road trip. Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving, quite the turn for him. First, there was thought that he might have to undergo season-ending surgery. Then he had the cortisone shot. He's able to come back and play. Unclear if there was some sort of a setback. Mark Stein said that the injury is best described as a deterioration in the shoulder. And he's had this discomfort on and off. And the Nets have now made it official that he... I'm not sure if he has yet, but he uh, is going to miss the rest of the season due to shoulder surgery. Definitely dispiriting considering, I mean, we wanted to see what the Nets would be without Kevin Durant and they haven't been impressive without Kyrie. And this leads to a real challenge of evaluation for Sean Marks because now they have to think about however all these pieces fit together. Karis LeVert, Dinwiddie, Kyrie, KD, Joe Harris, who's a pending free agent, in the abstract more than more than in a test because we don't know how, how much their window is even going to be open in the first place. But considering Durant's coming back from an Achilles issue, Kyrie has all these injury issues, they need to get it right quickly because they're not going to have a lot of time. So however open it is now, it's only going to narrow in time. So controversial take here. I think this might actually be good for the Nets. They weren't going to win a playoff series anyway. If they don't make the playoffs, they'll actually keep their pick. Yeah, actually, let's talk about this briefly. This is one of the... I've always, when I've done... Because pick protection is my jam. I've long said that teams never like deliberately miss the playoffs to keep their pick. And that's true. Like If you look at behavior, it doesn't do it. Yeah, This would be the type of case, other than this not being that great of a draft, to do it because not only is it, you know, you're getting a lottery pick, but also the Nets think they're going to be good next year. So the margin, let's say the difference between giving up the 15th pick this year and giving up, let's be optimistic and say the 24th pick next year, that's huge. But you might, but some teams, I think why they wouldn't do it that way one there's the revenue part and the optimism and season ticket holders but then the other part is also a lot of teams especially if they're going to be aggressive as let's call them spenders with resources want to have their obligations wiped off the books and so that way theoretically if if they give up their pick this year they don't have it to trade but they could theoretically move their 2021 as soon as now or as soon as you know the draft 
Yeah, I, that that was an ancillary part of uh, my idea that this is actually good agreed. Agreed. I just I, um, I wanted to go down the rabbit hole because I've been living there for a, for a week now. <laughs> well, and, and I mean they're, they're not going to try to tank out of the playoffs, and frankly, they would be hard pressed to do so given uh, the decrepitude of those behind them. Uh, so, but here's more of my thinking. Number one. Uh, and Zach Lowe had the stats amazing that Levert, Dinwiddie, and Irving, I think, only played 67 minutes together all season. And Irving will, uh, it'll have been 20 games for him ultimately. By the way, this is also a little bit of a disaster for the NBA. Another top 15 player, one of the most exciting players in the NBA, going to be out for the season. I mean, it's really crazy how bad the injury look has been after through most of last year it was really good uh and part of why last year was pretty exciting but another reason is you know Kyrie is not going to get used to now just being the guy who shoots every time and Kevin Durant is going to really need to be the number one option and and Kyrie is going to need to be 1a when they come back but the biggest reason I think is that Karis Levert now is going to get a chance to blossom as the number two option and I don't think he really fits that well with this group they have to get better defensively if uh, they're going to actually really be a contender next year and the best ammo that they have in trade is Levert he can't be traded couldn't be traded now because he signed that extension but now he can start to look like a value contract he can really start to have some appeal for a team uh, that needs to get better offensively that needs a creator with some size and so this will give Levert a chance to have all he can eat the rest of the year all he can eat in the playoffs um Spencer Dinwiddie I don't predict that he's going to get traded because he was a, a big part of bringing Kyrie in who then brought in Kitty who then brought in DeAndre Jordan and so Levert is the guy to me and ultimately I think that him boosting his trade value is probably the best thing that could happen this group you know Kyrie Irving is a good player I don't think that like you know what what were they going to learn by losing four one well, instead and, of four zero in the playoffs? And you avoid more strain on Ky- the rest of Kyrie's body, and he's certainly yeah, gone like through. his knees, for exactly. example. Exactly. So that that I think that works out well for them. It's 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 a totally reasonable reasonable take yeah. in my eyes. Now, I mean, if he doesn't come back hundred percent, or well, you're, he you're gains not, a bunch of weight, you're not or the whatever, sur- you're not saying that the surgery, like that that the injury is a good thing. It's that the that ending his season via surgery, like compared to having him play through. Let's say. Yeah. And also, I mean, if it was bad enough that he's at this point, you know, then he's going to miss all the offseason rehabbing from this. I mean, I think I'd almost rather have him be able to work on his game in the offseason than, than play right now. The Bulls. Chris Dunn, still another four to six weeks with that MCL spray. And sounds like it was at least a grade two. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Can he make it back for the playoffs? I, I love John Greenberg putting that in, in his tweet. He's like, yeah, he, he like might make a return for <laughs> so great. Uh, I, I wasn't sure whether no, that John was tweet, a, John you in, no, put John that in. included that in the tweet. John's John's great. Oh man, I, I love Greenberg. He's uh, he's a Chicago classic. Um, Denzel Valentine. They actually should have a brigade of guys coming back. I actually, when I talked with Hollinger today, I declined to rule them out for the playoffs. So the only Eastern Conference team out of the, out of the top eight that I haven't ruled out of the playoffs yet in our little contest. But uh, Denzel Valentine could be back from his sore left hamstring. He played three on three. Otto Porter also played three on three. Uh, he practiced uh, as well last week with that left foot. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be on a crazy minutes restriction, but again, any 
even remotely effective body at the three would be helpful especially because Chandler Hutchison aggravated his right shoulder issue he received a cortisone shot he has no target date to return he says he hopes that he's not gonna be out for the season though uh but he's to miss extended time and according to Jim Boylan Lowry Markinen remains on track to return at the beginning of March and Wendell Carter Jr was upgraded to doubtful for Saturday against the Suns uh, they obviously lost that game did win tonight against the Wizards but if he is upgraded to doubtful you know, he could be back here in the next week or so uh of course Luke Cornett uh injured his ankle in practice and now he's out <laughs> so they're uh the, their center position it, it despite the ostensible depth they had at that position it is uh a little rough but hey maybe the bulls if they can get all these guys back and their defense can get back to where it was uh with carter out there they could make a little bit of a run at it if and you know irving being out maybe that that means the nets could be vulnerable to another injury as well so it it's not over yet for for the bulls uh at least in in, in Indianapolis, uh, Victor Oladipo missed Sunday's game against the Raptors where they got absolutely shithoused 127 to 81, and it was might have actually oof. been worse than that. I mean, I, re- I was tracking it during the, the – it was before the Warriors game started. It was just, just rough. Um, great win for the Raptors, you could say. Um, and so we'll see if it ends up continuing beyond that. In Milwaukee, Kyle Korver is – has been out for more than two weeks and he will not be with the team for the for the Bucks three game road trip they will they will be able to win in his stead but still you want you know always want to keep an eye on potential playoff players and whether they're healthy going into this stretch of the season and finally in Toronto Norman Powell remains on the shelf with that left ring finger issue uh it's been three weeks now there but he could be back soon Marcus Gasol missed his 10th straight in that game against the Pacers, although they continue to just roll right along. Gasol will be very important for them in the playoffs. Left hamstring tightness. This is his second bout, of course, uh, with that issue. So no indication that he is close to a return himself, but really just getting him healthy for the playoffs. I mean, got Toronto being, what are they, 41 and 15 now? I mean, that's just absolutely insane that, that they're that good. And they are they might be the favorite for the two seed. Uh, and we are starting to see a little bit of stratification now between Boston and Toronto as the two and the three, and then Philly, Miami, and Indiana below them. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, Also, something to keep an eye on is us tomorrow. Uh, NBA.com will be tweeting out the link all day, 7.30 Pacific, Grizz and Clippers are joining uh, Roe Parish, and we're going to actually have the game live, calling it all in the same window, no syncing up, no problems. This is a, a dream of ours. First time we're actually getting to really do this for an NBA game, and we hope that you will join us and support us, and uh, that will enable us to maybe do it again, which would be pretty awesome. So thanks again for listening. Listen to Hollinger and Duncan. Listen to Danny's Real Jam Radio Pod with Matt Moore from uh, Friday of last week. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Uh, talk about the West movers at the deadline in the 15 and 60. Finish that up tomorrow. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.